time. It's a joy. Uh, I'm going to have Adam Cottrell come ahead. Are we showing the video first, or you want to come ahead? Okay, yeah. Uh, Adam was with us early in the church. I've known him years ago. He was uh, part of the church I grew up uh, later years of my life in. And, uh, and he came and helped us in the early years of our church here. Uh, he was with us before we moved on to this side. So some of you, raise your hand if you weren't in the first side building over there, if you weren't in that first section where we had service. Raise your hand if you were in those first days. <laughs> okay. So uh, on that side, there's about 7,000 square foot. That, that was an old carpet store. This was a grocery store. And man, we were, he was in the phase where we were tearing out the drywall. We were doing all this renovation. This was just a big, open, old grocery store. And it looked rolled and rough. And we had to tear everything out and, and, and clean it all up and do all the things we did to it. Put new ceiling, new walls. Everything you see has been put into it new. But, uh, but he was a faithful teacher, faithful uh, servant of the Lord. Uh, he had Alex with, uh, he, he, he remembers Alex. He said, man, you, you haven't changed any. You still look as young as you did back then. But uh, uh, Alex was part of that teen ministry back then and uh, as a student. And so uh, Alec, uh, Adam and his wife, Ayla, they now have two kids. They've been on the mission field over in Thailand, doing a great work over there. Uh, difficult field, but they're reaching people with the gospel in a place that you and I will probably never travel in our life. And uh, so appreciate his faithfulness to Christ. And may uh, Adam feel welcome as he comes tonight to bring the word to us. Well, good evening. Thank you so much, church. It is good to be back here uh, at Lighthouse. It has been a couple years uh, since I was here and a member, and uh, those were good years. We had an awesome time. Pastor Josh was asking me today, he said, hey, were we in the new side yet uh, when you left? And I said, no. I said, but I remember the last thing we did over here is we ripped out a bunch of rotten drywall and we bleached every wall that was in this building and uh, it cost me a t-shirt because I looked like I'd been through a chemical rain. Uh, but it is great to see it now at this, at this place and see how God has been blessing uh, the church. I'm so excited to be able to be with you guys tonight and share with you a little bit uh, about Thailand. And I have to start off by just saying I'm sorry. My wife and two sons uh, are here in Ohio. They're at my parents' house up in Springfield. But uh, my kids are allergic to America somehow. And uh, they have caught everything that America has to offer and so uh, they're sick right now. So please be in prayer for my wife uh, and for the kids to get better as well. But anyway, we're going to start things off tonight with our video. We've been in Thailand now a little over four years, and uh, God has blessed in a huge way. And so we're excited to update you on that. But you'll see through the video kind of a time frame of those four years of everything that's transpired and of where we are now. And so uh, after the video, I'll come back, update you a little bit more on the ministry there and some specific prayer requests that we have for you guys. Uh, and then we'll do the most important thing and we'll get into God's word. So let's have the video at this time. Hi, we're Adam and Ayla. And this is Jackson and Rowan. And we're the Cottrell family, BBFI Wind Missionaries in Thailand. Thailand is a beautiful country in Southeast Asia. It's known for bold flavors, beautiful mountains, pristine beaches, and large and growing city centers. But the best part of Thailand will always be the people. The Thai people are laid back, family oriented, and extremely proud of their rich culture and history. While Thailand is known as the land of smiles, it's a land of spiritual unrest and thirst for something more. Around 70 million people live in Thailand, with 17 million of them living in the capital city, Bangkok. Now, less than 1% of Thai people follow any form of Christianity. 
That means that millions of people are born, live, and die without ever hearing the story of Jesus Christ or the good news of the gospel. Back in 2019, we arrived with our 10-month-old son, a lot of luggage, and big plans to jump into ministry. We were ready to work with and learn from veteran missionaries Ricky and Tammy Salmon. But just as we settled into ministry and language school, Thailand has reported the first case of the Wuhan coronavirus found outside of China. A curfew will be imposed in Bangkok as Thailand fights its worst outbreak of COVID-19. Slowly, we learned to do ministry under a completely new set of circumstances. We transitioned Bangjak onto online services, completed a much needed remodel of the church, and worked with our team to distribute food and gospel tracts to those in our community. As Thailand opened back up, we were able to lead the International Sunday School class. We hosted weekly discipleship studies at our house. We worked in our English outreach at the church, and Adam had the opportunity to teach Bible to the teens after our soccer ministry. For the last year and a half of our first term, we teamed up with Shane and Katie Salmon to plant the Bentai Baptist Church. Shane and Katie have a huge heart for Thai people, and we are so thankful that we get to serve the Lord alongside them. We've seen many new people saved and baptized and added to the church here in an area of Bangkok that badly needed a gospel presence. As spiritually dark as Thailand is, God is at work in amazing ways here at Bentai Baptist Church. We lead the youth outreach every week. We work in children's and family ministries, lead in the English outreach ministry, we help train new leaders and workers and teach and preach in classes and services. One of the projects that we're working on for the future is actually working to connect with schools and local universities to get in there and have a presence teaching English, teaching leadership classes, and of course, telling them about the love of Jesus Christ. Please pray for the salvation of those that have been attending church and classes, and also for new connections in our community. The need for the gospel in Thailand is immense. We need your help. And there are two ways that we would ask you to help us with the ministry here in Thailand. First, we ask that you'd help support us and give to projects that are going on here so that we can do the ministry that God has called us to and made possible in Thailand. Secondly, we'd ask that you pray. Pray for the church. Pray for our workers and for our leaders and for all those that are coming and being a part here at Ben Thai to hear the gospel to accept the Lord into their hearts, and to go make disciples. Thank you so much for your help. Bye. It's honestly um, a little difficult at times for us now to watch that video. We've watched it uh, quite often since we've been back. And uh, it's not just that I hear my own voice on video so much, because I hate that, uh, but it's that we miss our people and we miss the place God has called us to, and we miss being there. And so we can't wait to get back. We'll be on furlough now until the first week of May, and, uh, and then we're, we're heading back. But uh, just to build up a little bit on the video to share with you guys just a few things uh, that you saw there and to share with you a little bit um, about Thailand. Uh, if you've never heard of Thailand before or you've never seen pictures of it, Thailand's a country in Southeast Asia. As you saw in the video, we have about 70 million people. In our city that we're in, we have 17 million, and so there's just people every 
where it's really hard for a farm kid from Ohio to go to a place like that because claustrophobia is real. Uh, people are just treading all over each other. And I could take a lot of time and tell you all about the place. I could tell you about the amazing beaches that we have in Thailand. Thailand's got some of the best destination beaches uh, in the world. I could tell you all about the mountains that we have. Uh, beautiful places where you drive up through the clouds and you see elephants walk out to your car to say hi and monkeys come and tear the antenna off and do all kinds of evil things. Uh, I could say about the food. I don't know if you can tell by the visual evidence here today, but I happen to be, you know, expert in the area of food uh, in Thailand. But I really just want to share two things with you uh, that I hope that you'll take and that will, will stick in your heart and in your mind so that you think about this, uh, that you'll be burdened for Thailand and for the work that's going on there. But the first thing is just this, Thailand desperately needs Jesus. You know, I know as missionaries, we come to churches and we say all these numbers, we throw this stuff out real fast, 70 million people, and we have this much percentage Christian, but uh, in Thailand, we have 95% that are Buddhist, and they're Buddhist because that's their national identity. They believe to be a Thai person is to be a good Buddhist. We have about 4% now that have converted to Islam, and we have less than 1% that claim any form of Christianity whatsoever. They follow any religion that just has Jesus involved in it. And so if you water down just that less than 1% and you take out all the charismatics and the cults and you get it down to people who believe in the biblical means of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, we're talking about a couple thousand people in that whole nation who are saved and who are on their way to heaven. Uh, most people there, they don't even know who Jesus is. And I, I found that kind of funny because, you know, Thailand's like here, everybody's got one of these, right? They have access to information. They just, they don't know who Jesus is is it's just nothing that just never comes up. And when I heard that at first, I was kind of blown away by it. I've shared this story a few times in pastor's meetings and stuff here uh, in the state, but um, one time our missionaries that you saw in the video, Ricky and Tammy, we first worked with, he had to go out and get a taxi ride. And so he got in the taxi and he was telling me this story just to kind of illustrate to me, you know, people's understanding of who Jesus is. And he said he figured he had a captive audience because the taxi driver told him, hey, it'll be about an hour ride he only had to go six and a half miles, but that's, you know, life in the big city. He said, it'll be about an hour ride. And so Ricky said, I've got this guy for an hour. I'm a missionary. Prime opportunity. And so he's trying to talk to the guy, and the guy's just not talkative. So finally, he just blurts out. He says, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And he said, the guy just got stressed out. He started thinking, and he was rubbing his head. I, I should know the answer to this. And finally, he turned around angry, and he said, I don't know who Jesus is, but I'll make you a deal. If you give me his address, I'll drop you off there instead. And uh, I did what so many of you just did. I, I laughed about it, and then you think about it. And you start thinking that we live in a world today in our technology, advanced nations all over the world where there are still people who think Jesus is just some guy down the street. It's a tough place. Thailand desperately, desperately needs Jesus. I've walked through the temples where they'll line up two- and three-year-olds, and they will mass indoctrinate just stuff these prayers to memorize into their head. These perfect little rows of kids who are learning this. You'll ask them, what were you praying about? Oh, I was praying for health. But yeah, but what, what words were you saying? Well, I don't know. Because all their chants are in Sanskrit and they don't speak Sanskrit. It's a very dark place. Now that we've been there four years, I've seen the end of that religious system where we'll go to funerals and you'll sit there and you'll look up before they cremate the body and the people will just be howling and they, they take the top lid off the casket one last time and the family can reach in and hug the person who passed away and they are just brokenhearted because they know that that's the last time that we're going to see that person. It's truly a place that apart from Jesus Christ has a no hope but that's 
the good news about it. There is no darkness, or there's no place in this world that's too strong for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's doing an awesome work in town. I hope you guys could tell that from the video and see some of the great things that are happening there. But I just want to uh, expound upon it. That's the second thing I want you to remember is just God's at work. Uh, our ministry in town has three main focuses. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We disciple people and we do everything we can to help start new churches. And uh, so God's moving us forward in there in a lot of different ways. Of course, you saw the church that we helped start about a year and a half ago, and uh, it's just so amazing. It's the fastest growing church on record uh, that we're aware of or that other missionaries are aware of in Bangkok. And uh, we started out with eight people, and I think last week they had 35 in church, and so God's just growing it. And these people are not people that come from somewhere else down. (laughs) They are people who come in, they hear about Christ for the first time, we get to talk to them. And we get to share with them Jesus Christ, and they get saved and baptized uh, and joined to the church. So we're real thankful for the church that's going on there. Uh, some of the outreach things that we're doing right now is we have an outreach program for families. The area the church is in uh, is just all young working professionals, and so they all have kids about our kids' ages. And so we started up a, during the Sunday school hour. We decided to not have Sunday school and have an outreach. And so we have all the kids come in, and we teach them how to speak English, or like a do-it-yourself project, even how to bake and home ec and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, but we tell them the last 20 minutes of class, we're going to teach you about Jesus. And uh, they're just flocking to it. We have parents that bring their kids and hang out. And so during the Sunday school hour, we'll have 60, 70 people sometimes in and out of the church who we're getting to talk to and tell about Jesus Christ. And it's so amazing. Uh, well, then we ask them to stay over for morning service, and many of them do. And so if you were in service there this past Sunday, uh, you would notice that probably over half of the church, roughly 50% that stay are members of the church who are saved and going. And then there's about 50% that stay that they're just like, what are you guys, like, what are you guys all about? Tell us about this religion. Tell us about what you believe. Tell us about the Bible. And so it's amazing to see lost people come in and it's the first time they've ever been in church. And they're like, we just want to know what the Bible says and what you're telling people and what you want to share with. And so we're really excited uh, about that. We started a youth group this last year. And so we have about 20 kids we're connected with now uh, who are in and out of attending church, and we're talking to them about Jesus. Uh, Back in August, I was sitting down, I sat down with four kids, and we were just having just a very pointed conversation about, are you to the point yet where you would accept Jesus? And all of them said, I'm very interested in that. I'd want to do it, but my parents have told me no. They don't want us to do it. And so it's a very hard situation that teens find themselves in. because they won't do something outside of what their parents tell them to do. Uh, But they're coming and they're hearing, and we're just going to keep giving God's word to them. We're going to let God keep knocking on their heart. We're going to be faithful to do what we do. And we don't save them anyway, right? It's God who saves them. And so we're going to keep preaching Jesus to them. And I told Pastor Josh before church, I said, we just think it's like Novocaine. You give them enough shots, you know, and eventually uh, it'll take effect. And so we're thankful for that. But be in prayer uh, for our youth group. Uh, This last year, something we had that was a real big success, and we're going to do it again we teamed up with a group called Medical Missions Outreach. And what they do is they connect with, with doctors and nurses here in the States, and they ask them to go on a missions trip and help hold a clinic uh, hooked up with a local church in whatever country they're going to. And so Shane and I helped facilitate a group coming over, and they said, we want to come do this clinic, but we just want you guys to uh, know that our main focus is that you tell the people that come for the clinic about Jesus. We said, that's what we're about, so we think we can do this. So we set up with a local pastor outside of Bangkok, and uh, the government was so excited about what we were doing, they were bussing people in to meet us, and we had 58 doctors and nurses come over and set up, and every single person that came through the clinic got to sit down 
and uh, explain to them the gospel story, who Jesus is, how they can know for sure when they die, they go to heaven. And so many of them were blown away. They said, it's the first time I've ever heard anything like this at all. And so the week was a huge success. We saw three people get saved uh, during the week, and we were so thankful for that. But at the end of the week, we had 400 people who'd filled out a card that said, I really don't want to stop talking about this. I want you guys to come talk to us and meet up with us. And so we took a stack of cards, probably about that big, and we gave them to that young pastor that's there in that town. And I think he's still falling up. Probably he had a stroke that day, seeing all the follow-up he had to do. Uh, but they're still seeing people saved from that and come to church and join. And so uh, God's just doing amazing, amazing things. And we're so excited about it. One thing I'd ask you to pray for is uh, we need time men who will surrender to be pastors to go out and plant churches. And so we've looked through some towns and some areas, and uh, we're starting to have guys ask questions. We had uh, one young man I'd like you to pray for named Arm, just like this, Arm. And uh, Arm has said, hey, I want to be a pastor. And uh, it's just worked out in a cool way. A city we were praying for that needs a church uh, is right where his mom bought him property to start a business. And so he's praying about going to the city to start a church a couple hours away. And he's in Bible Institute right now. So we're so thankful that God's calling people. And uh, God doesn't just save people to sit. He saves them to serve, right? And uh, he's calling folks. So pray for Arm. Pray for more, guys, because there's many places uh, where we could plant churches and get them there. Then I'd ask you to pray for a lady named Plawan as well. And uh, just P-L-A-W-A-N. I know we don't ever write Plawan down day to day, do we? Uh, but she has been coming to church now over a year, and uh, she's just right there. Every time we talk uh, to Shane and Katie and get an update or talk to her, she's just so ready to get saved. So please be uh, in prayer for that. But God's blessing, things are going so well there, uh, and we're thankful for it. But grab your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. Um, I'm going to share a little bit more some specific stories about how God's worked in some people's lives uh, during the message tonight, but that's an overview of what's happening. As you go there to Ephesians 2, uh, I'd just like to ask you guys, after service tonight, if you would stop by our table. Uh, we do have new prayer cards with the kids on there, and so uh, thank you so much for praying for us. Stop by and grab one of those. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, let's all stand and honor the reading of God's Word. But Ephesians chapter 2, I want to speak on the subject of but God for just a few minutes, uh, hopefully a passage of Scripture that you're very, very familiar with. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, we'll read down through verse 10. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4 has those two words that are so amazing, doesn't it? But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in, sin, in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then Paul stops this portion of Scripture here uh, in verse 10. He completes this thought with these words. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk. And then let's pray for our time of studying God's word tonight. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for Lighthouse. Thank you, Lord, for their faithful support and for, God, what you're using this partnership to accomplish in faraway places uh, all over the world and in Thailand as well. God, I pray now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, God, that, Lord, you would challenge our hearts and you would convict us and you would mold us into who uh, you want us to be. Or we don't ever want to come to church and open your words and consider the truth of Scripture and then leave exactly as we came. We, we want to be changed. And so, God, I pray that, that tonight we'd have open hearts as we look at this, Lord, that you would challenge us for what you have for us. And, God, that we'll give you whatever you ask of us. And for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, just as a way of introduction, a few months ago, I have to admit that I was struck with this severe case of awareness considering um, what many have told me is my soon approaching midlife crisis. <clears throat> I turned 36 back in August and I had this pre-crisis of sorts. I don't know if any of you guys are in like my area of life now at 36, but 33 is not that bad. You think, okay, I've got time. 34 is fine, 35 is fine, but then the difference between 36 and 40 might as well be nothing, right? And so you're just on this downhill slide um, to 40. And so it just all came aware. I was like, man, I'm getting old. And um, I know this is going to earn me all kinds of stinkers and judgmental thoughts. But I'm kind of starting to feel my age. Don't know. Yeah, yeah. See? Something about being on that downhill slide just makes, you know, pain appear all over your body after you do something particularly taxing, like sleeping. Um, I don't know what it is, about six to seven hours of sleep, but then you wake up and you feel like you're at the Rice Krispie factory. Anybody have that? You know, you just pop all over and you wake up and the first thought in the morning is not, thank you, Lord, for another day. You have to acknowledge the pain first as the words, you know, get ready to come out of your mouth, right? But uh, anyway, I, I understand if you have judgmental thoughts towards me and I'm only 36 and going through all this because people have assured me it's going to get worse and I believe you. That's the thing, okay? I believe you it's going to get worse. But I don't know if it's that approaching milestone of life or maybe it's just seeing how much life changes so quick. Last time we were here, we, don't, we didn't have any kids. Now, Ayla and I have two kids and they grow up so fast. You know, time's relative and then you have kids and then you see really how fast time can go and how quick um, things can change. Speaking of changes, I drove into Xenia for the first time in a long time tonight and I was like, we have a B-dubs finally? We don't have to go to North Fairfield Road anymore for B-dubs, right? We've got Skyline here, We've got all these amazing things. Wow, man, we were roughing it back in the day here. I'm just telling you right now. But life changes quick, doesn't it? It changes so fast. And there, there are some times in our life where we get a rare opportunity for clarity. We, we consider where we are in life, then we consider what has happened in our life before and, and we can relive and, and think about memories of moments of, of decisions or events that took place that clearly altered our lives and they made us who we are today. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's kind of setting that up. He's using the same formula to say, hey, I'm going to teach you guys about some different phases of spiritual life. He has three different periods of spiritual life that he points out, and my hope is that they'll encourage us uh, in the work of Christ and challenge anybody here that's not saved yet to open your heart to Jesus. So let's just look at these three areas of spiritual life that Paul shares. Uh, the first one we find in verse 1 through 3, we see that we had this first spiritual phase of a broken life, a broken life. Verse 1 through 3 says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others. It doesn't really paint a pretty picture, does it? Our lives apart from Christ, the Bible says, are lived according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. We live in the lusts of the flesh. We live just fulfilling the desires of our flesh and whatever our wicked, godless mind can dream up and can think of. And our very nature, the Bible says, is one of wrath. Just to boil it down, without Christ, we are slaves to Satan and to ourselves. I remember when I was here in Xenia, we would go out and we would uh, be canvassing and we'd be talking to people at different times through the year for different events. And we'd go out and knock doors and talk to people and just ask them very pointedly about where they were with Jesus. And we'd ask them questions like, hey, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And probably everybody we talked to would give the answer. You probably know, right? Yeah, I think so. But you don't stop there. You take it one step further. And so we'd say, if you were in front of heaven and they said, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? And without fail, the majority of the time, the biggest, que- the biggest answer to that question we got was, well, I think I'm a good person, right? I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done anything or haven't got caught, you know. I haven't done any of this nasty stuff. I think I'm a pretty good person. But the Bible makes it clear when we look here, none of us are good. Our very nature is just godless, and it's the same way in Thailand when we ask people. You know, the devil really only has one playbook. He's trying to get people to get to heaven on their own some way, apart from Jesus. But we'll go up to Buddhist people and say, hey, are you going to go to heaven? And it's part of their reincarnation process. It's about the only thing that we have in common with Buddhists is that they do believe that for a while that they're going to go to heaven. So they're a little bit aware that there's a spiritual place called heaven. And they'll say, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. And you'll say, why? Well, I, I went to the temple today. And I, I bought food for the monks. And uh, I bought some fish that were in captivity, and I released them. I gave life back, then they were going to die. And you'll say, so you think that this is going to make you okay with God or with a God or some, give you some kind of favor? And they'll say, well, yeah, why wouldn't it? Their whole thought process is if I'm 51% good, I'll be okay. But the Bible paints a very different picture. None's good. Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 10, the last half of that, verse 11, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Nobody's good. Nobody can be good enough. And Satan is happy with people thinking, I'll be just fine. Satan is happy with people thinking, I'll go some other way. I'll accomplish this somehow on my own. But Paul writes and reminds us in Ephesians 2 that without God, there is nothing good about us. It's not just that before Christ we were slaves to Satan and to our desires, but before Christ we were also hopeless. Look at verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were, what's the next word, church? Dead in trespasses and sins. Notice this, Paul, Paul didn't write that we were dying or that we were really bad off or that we were sick. No, he said that what was wrong with us would be permanent aside from something impossible happening. We were already dead, already without hope, and already facing certain judgment. I want you to understand this. The spiritual reality of everyone in the world who doesn't yet have Jesus is right as Paul describes it here in Ephesians 2. Dead already, 
in sins and trespasses, already living for themselves, slaves to Satan and to their own desires. It's true if you're in Xenia. It's true if you're in Thailand. Everybody is hopeless without Jesus Christ. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior yet, you're still living in this place. You say, I'm a good person. We just saw apart from Christ, there's nothing in our life that makes us good enough. There's nothing in our life that's redeemable quality because Jesus is not in it. But everyone has experienced this part of life. But praise God, if you're a Christian, you're not in this part of life anymore because the second spiritual phase that happened is that there was a powerful change. Verse 4 and 5 talks about this. It shows us this turning point. Verse 4 has those two awesome words, but God. When God shows up in somebody's life, things change. Amen? Things change quick. And we could go around the room, and and I know many of you know each other's testimonies, but we could hear testimony of all the amazing things that God has accomplished in your life and how God brought you from one situation to something else. And the reason that we can hear testimonies like that and we can see this change happen is because God shows up in somebody's life. And he changes it completely. Once God acts, everything changes. But the cool thing about this is God's work in us is completely undeserved. Look at the last part of verse 4 and verse 5. It says, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Paul here takes this opportunity to speak to God's character. And he shows us three things about it. First, he writes that God is rich in mercy. Remember, Paul just wrote, we were all those disobedient, wrathful people, but God saves sinners and he shows them grace. Why does he do it? Because he is rich in mercy, but we also see he's loving. He's loving. I'm building to a point here. Why does God work in somebody's life? Because he loves us. John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 are both verses that I hope every single one of you can quote, but John 3.16, for God so what? Loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth. Commendeth is just a word that means proved. God proved his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love is incredible. Don't ever take for granted that God loves you. Don't ever sit back and just become used to the fact that God loves you because we still don't deserve it. God is merciful, God is loving, but third, he's also gracious. Verse five, the end of that, by grace ye are saved. So when God shows up in somebody's life, it's not deserved. It's because it's who God is and what he wants to accomplish. He's rich in mercy, he loves, he's gracious, and because of that, he wants to interject himself into this kind of life and save people from their sins and change them into something else. And this is where we see the third portion. We see a new reality, a new reality. Look at verse six. It says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where the comparison here is crazy, isn't it? Before Christ, I mean, we are nasty. God shows up and then all of a sudden we're part of God's family. We're raised up in heavenly places. Why does that happen? Because God does the work, not us. And he changes us and he makes us who he wants us to be. And when somebody gets saved, eternity is completely changed because the gospel it changes everything. I wanted to get through that passage to get to a couple stories here to share with you for a second. We'll come back and finish the rest in a moment, but I wanted to introduce you to a couple of my friends. I have a friend here. Uh, there's a picture of a guy studying a book, and I want to introduce you to a friend of mine named Oat. 
And uh, Thai people have interesting nicknames sometimes. But Oat uh, walked into our church about three and a half years ago. It was right after our first lockdown from COVID. We were able to open up for a few months before the next variant came along. And uh, Oat walked in and on English night. We have English outreaches, and we are very upfront. We'll teach you English for an hour, but we ask you to stay for 30 minutes for a Bible lesson. And Oat walked in. He's seen one of our advertisements, and he walked in, and he said, hey, I want to learn English. And he said it in English, and I was like, well, your English is already really good. Why do you need to learn English? You know? and, and he said, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to apply to go to Stanford to get my doctorate in mechanical engineering. And I'm like, you want to learn English from me? Someone that's going to Stanford for a doctor of mechanical engineering should never study English with someone from Southern Ohio, right? Like, it's just not going to happen. And he said, yeah, he said, so I'd really like to learn English. So he did. He came every week for multiple months, and he'd stay, and he'd stay for the Bible time, and we're sharing the gospel with him, and he'd just sit there, and he would just think about stuff. He'd never been in a church before. He knew what the Catholic picture of Jesus is because he'd walked by a Catholic school when he was a kid and got to go in and be educated there for a short time. But he'd listen to these Bible stories, and he's like, this is crazy. And so one night in English class, we hadn't gone down with the other classes yet to get together for Bible. And Oat was sitting there, and he said, hey, Ajahn, that's their name for pastor or teacher. He said, hey, Ajahn. He said, I know that uh, you, know, you guys have been teaching us the Bible and stuff, but I kind of wanted to know, does the Bible have anything in it that's cool? And I was like, what? He said, well, you know, I'm into mechanical engineering. I want to know about like, numbers and cool things like that. And he says, does the Bible have anything in there that's cool? I said, Yes. He said, well, hit me with something. I said, okay, well, the Bible accurately depicts the average lifespan of a human. He goes, no, it doesn't. I said, sure it does. He says, where? I said, I'll be with you in a second. And I asked Google, where's that verse? Okay. Google's useful in evangelism, ladies and gentlemen. I pulled it up and I Googled it and I said, oh, it's right here. It says the average lifespan of a man is three score and 10 years, 80 if by strength. Right. And I said, so 70 years. The score is 20 years. 70 years is the average lifespan. And he goes, no, it's not. So get out your phone. Let's Google it. So we start looking through countries. Average lifespan of Russia. Average lifespan of Argentina, Thailand, America. We go through about 10 countries. We add them all up. Average them out. Guess what we hit? 70. No, it doesn't, he said. What else does the Bible have? I'm so glad you asked. We start talking through all this stuff. He said, do you think you and I could just, you know, study the Bible together, leave everybody else out of it? Yeah. So he would come to English, go through an hour of English, stay for 30 minutes of a Bible story. He'd help me set up the church for the next morning. And then till about midnight, three or four hours on Saturday nights, we'd sit there and we're ripping through Bible stories. That picture I have of, is of him actually working through a discipleship book we have. Six months of this, just God's word over and over. He's memorizing God's word. He's finding out from Genesis on, where did I come from? What's the purpose for my life? Who is God really? What's going on? Finally, after about six months, we're sitting there one night, and I'm thinking, dude, I'm, I'm out of discipleship books. I am. I mean, he's ripping through them, multiple lessons every week, and coming back and going, what about this? I found this. And I mean, he's just devouring God's word. We're going through John 3, and we got through the whole story in context of John 3. He knew John 3.16, but we got through the whole context of John 3.16, and he stopped, and he said, I got to tell you something. He said, uh, in Thailand, we serve many gods. They're polytheistic. They pray to hundreds of gods. He said, but there is no God that loves us. We serve every single God out of fear. 
We serve them so that something bad doesn't happen to us. And he said, if God loves us that much and he wants to know me just because, he said, I can serve a God like that. And I said, well, you'll have to get rid of all the other gods. Yeah. I said, you'll have to get rid of all the other gods. He said, no problem. This God's so much better. He's the real one. So yeah, he is. And so right there in that office that you saw, Oak got down, he prayed and accepted Christ. And I asked, I asked Oak, I said, Oak, what do you feel like just happened in your life? Did Jesus save you? And we would look through Titus 1, 2 and other verses about you place your trust in Christ and that moment Jesus saves you. And he said, take another picture with me, John. I'll show you what I'm feeling inside. So this is a few weeks after that first picture. We took this picture right after Oak prayed for salvation. I said, what's up, man? He said, I got peace. I got peace. I'm not scared. I got God that loves me. So this is, this is the God of the Bible, and now I'm saved. God's doing awesome things, and oh, he's still trying to get into Stanford. This next picture is another guy I met. This guy, the guy there in the green shirt, his name is Name. Told you Thai people have interesting nicknames sometimes. Name came into our church uh, this past January, and he had seen an advertisement for a Christmas service, and he walks in, and he comes right up to me. He said, are you the leader here? I said, I'm one of the leaders here. He said, cool. He said, I, want, I got some questions about this church. I said, okay. And he goes, does this church talk about Jesus? Yes, sir. He said, can you take the Bible and show me the stuff in the Bible? Yeah, that's what we do, actually. We're getting ready to do it in just a minute. He said, good, good. He said, and you can um, answer pretty much like all my questions about the Bible. I said, we're open to any question you got. We'll sit down and talk about it. He said, oh, I finally found a good church. He'd been hunting for a church. Bangkok's got about 70 million people. We have about nine Bible-believing, solid churches that we know of in Bangkok. He'd been looking all over. I said, why are you looking for a church? He said, I just start, I've been dating this girl for a while. That's his girlfriend, Nui. Her name means butter. And so we got name and butter. And he said, I've been dating this girl, and uh, she told me uh, if we're going to go any beyond just dating, if we're going to get serious about getting married and stuff, and we want to, that I had to start coming to church with her. But she told me it was my job to find a good church for us to go to. I said, I like this lady a lot. So he came to church. He said, I'm bringing Noe back next week. He did. He came a couple of months, came in in a midweek, sat down, met with the leadership there. And uh, Shane got the opportunity to lead name to the Lord. And he got saved. And man, you talk about change. Boom. This guy's like, what are we doing next week? How are we getting this done? I said, well, you can start helping in youth group, you know, but you need to go through discipleship, and uh, you can be like a game master for game time in youth group. He said, I got it. I'll be the best game master ever. He's also the, the interjecting teacher, because I'll be talking, and he'll be like, hey, hang on, pastor. You guys need to really understand this. Stop what you're just talking. Look at me. This man is telling you this. Do you understand that? Right. He's really all about it. Well, Name and I are going through discipleship for months, months, and uh, I'm like, Name, you, you need to get baptized, been coming for a long time now. Baptism is a very tricky thing for Thai people. It's very hard because a lot of them believe that religion is a personal thing. So to do something that outwardly shows their faith is very tough. If they get baptized, they can't go back to the temples anymore. You can't get married in a Buddhist temple by a monk if you get baptized. It's a very tricky thing. So we're talking through it. He says, I, I know I need to get baptized, but I, I can't get baptized. And our heart just sank. Like I'm talking to him and I just... If somebody gets saved and then they won't follow Christ and they won't do what God's word says, you know, you start to think, did you actually do this? He said, no, I'm all in. I really am. He said, but I met with my family. Name's 26, by the way. 
And he said, I met with my family and my dad said, I was cool with you getting saved or whatever and going to that church, but if you get baptized and people know that happened, you'll be such a disappointment to me. He said, your grandma will die of shame. And name's sitting there, he goes, Pastor, what do I do? And I'm thinking, there's no verse that says if a guy has a talk like that with their dad, right? That this is what you say next. And so he said, I want to get baptized, but my parents have told me that I need to at least wait till my grandma dies so that she won't be shamed. So I'm sitting there and I just prayed and I'm, God, what do I say to this guy? And so finally I just asked him a question. I said, name, does your grandma need to know about Jesus? And he's a very expressive person. He threw his head down on the table. And he said, you're right. If I don't do this, she might never listen to me when I go to tell her about Jesus. I said, that's right. He said, okay, I'm getting baptized Sunday. Cool. So we start praying for him. Uh, he said, I got to meet with my family again and tell him. So he goes, he has lunch with his family the next Saturday. And uh, I, I text him on the way. I said, name, how's it going? Are you, are you, you know, everything good? He said, I'm, I'm going to talk to my mom and dad. Millie and I are on the way with them to lunch. He says, just, just pray. I'll, I'll text you later. Cool. So I'm praying for him and we're talking and I text him that night, like seven hours later. I said, dude, are you alive? What happened? He said, I'll talk to you about tomorrow. And I've already filled up. You guys saw our baptistry. It's a swimming pool. I'm thinking tomorrow in our church, we're going to have this swimming pool. No one's going to get baptized. I'm going to say, hey, some of you have been saved, but not yet baptized. This is what a baptistry looks like. You know, we filled it up so you could just have an example. I'm thinking, man, it's not going to happen. Well, the next morning I get to church and Name's sitting there waiting on me. And he said, I got to tell you what happened last night. I said, okay, I want to know. He said, my parents picked me up. We go to lunch. He said, and I just tell him. He said, I just, he said, I just, it overwhelmed out of me. He said, I just, I just said, guys, listen, I got to do this. I gave my heart to Jesus. I don't get to decide what I want to do anymore. I got to do what God wants me to do. And I need you to be okay with it. And I would never want to bring you shame. And he said, I'm just, I'm just talking a mile a minute and I'm, and I'm just telling him all this stuff. And I love you so much. Please don't be upset with me, but I've got to follow Christ. And he says, dad says, okay, fine. And he goes, what? I'm sorry, what? what? He said, just stop stressing. It's fine. And his mom says, well, you can't get married in the, the temple. You and Noah want to get married. You can't get married in the temple if you get baptized. He said, we want to get married at the church. They said, okay. They said, we can't get karma by taking you to temple anymore. That's something they believe in. Take the family to the temple and you get points. And he said, I don't believe in that. So that wouldn't work anyway. They said, okay, well, as long as you're aware, you can go ahead and get baptized. He said, just didn't make sense. So he said, I'm just kind of perplexed by this. We get in the car to go home. We're going to take Millie to her apartment and I'm going to go shopping with my parents and I'm going to go to my house. And he said, I'm looking down in the door in my dad's car, and he says, just stuffed with all these magazines and books and like pamphlet things. And so I grab them, and he said, they're all Christian stuff. He said, I, I, he said, I think my dad thought I was mad. I was so shocked, I held them up, and I said, what are these? And his dad says, oh, those, those, those. He said, I'll tell you a story. He said, you, you stressed us out so bad telling us you want to follow Jesus and get baptized. He says, oh, I went to a new dentist a couple days after you first told us you were going to get baptized. And he said, I went into the dentist and, and we're talking, how are you? I'm fine. My kid's stressing me out. He said, my dentist laughs, says, you tell me why your kid's stressing me out and I'll tell you why my kid's stressing me out. So they start talking and he said, well, my kid became this Christian thing and now he wants to get baptized. He said, the dentist stops and turns around and says, I can help you understand completely what's going on in his heart. I'm a Christian and I would love to tell you what's going on in names, mind and heart. 
And so for weeks, the dad had been meeting with the dentist. And he said, I'm not ready to get saved yet. He said, but I know enough about Jesus and I see the difference in him. And son, I think you should follow Christ and do whatever he says to do. So what happened? Here's the next picture. We baptized him. <laughs> and that's Shane and I praying over him and Noe. Noe was walking around the church that morning. She's just sniffling, just crying. He'd say, no, you okay? I'm fine. I said, no, no, it's been a good day, right? Yeah, yeah. So she's telling people this, and so I went up and I was talking to her, and I said, no, you've been one TD, time I? So it's a good day, isn't it? And she said, oh, John, been one TD, suit. It's the best day ever. She said, I never thought I was going to marry a Christian man. I never thought I was going to find a guy that was a Christian. She said, but we started coming to church here. We gave our life to Christ. We've been serving God together. And she said, now we're members of this church. We're going to have our kids here, and our kids are not going to grow up Buddhist. They're going to grow up knowing Jesus. She said, oh, that testimony has changed in Name's family. He got to talk to his grandma about it. And she said, even though they haven't got saved yet, our families would have never heard about Jesus, but now they know, and they're studying about Christ. And why? Because God showed up in somebody's life one day, and he changed it. If it weren't for God, all these people I just told you about would still be lost in their sin, still serving a false religion, and still on their way to hell, but God. And God showed up and changed them. Let's look at the last verse of our passage, and we'll stop our time tonight. Down in verse 10. Paul wrote a few verses that I know you're very familiar with about being saved by grace through faith. And then he gets down to this in verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, God wants heaven to be full. And when we think of this new reconciled reality that we were apart from Christ, that God showed up in our life, he saved us, that Jesus is now our Lord and he's our Savior, and now we have this new reality, we have to realize that that reconciled reality is not just for our own peace and pleasure. That reconciled reality is for a purpose. And the purpose is bringing glory to God by taking the gospel across the street and around the world. And so church tonight, if you consider what God has done in us, and what he's going to one day do for us, it's a call to action on the behalf of others. Lighthouse has been so faithful in supporting us. Lighthouse was the very first church outside of our sending church that took us on for support. And you all have been faithful, and God has blessed that partnership. And there are people that you just met who will be in heaven one day because you've been faithful to give. My question is this, who else is going with you? If God has saved us for a purpose and he has brought us to a place where we know that we have this reconciled reality and we want heaven to be full like God is, then we have got to be active in getting it done. So what are you doing to bring people to Jesus? God saved you. He saved you to good works and he's ordained that we should walk. 